0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey Jonathan, how's it going?
0: It's going good. The the post-SBC kind of, you know, tiredness uh, and just all around just being worn out has kind of worn off. Yeah. So I'm feeling, I'm, I'm back with the land of the living this week.
1: Yeah, I I am too. It's the week after the SBC is always very slow. Uh, when I worked at Southern Seminary, and it is slow at Southeastern Seminary the week after, which is nice. Gives us a little chance to catch our breath. Uh, but I'm headed out on vacation, so yeah, I, I,
0: to Canada. Yes,
1: so I rested just long enough to rest some more. Yeah,
0: yeah. Next week will be the uh, SBCC. This week, Southern Baptist Convention yes. of Canada.
1: This will be the third summer in a row. We've done the we've done this every summer. I've had a a one from Canada.
0: That's right, because uh, the two years ago you were you were up in Nova Scotia, yes. And then last year you went to like uh, Cochrane. Is that where you were?
1: Yes, Cochrane, where the Canadian Southern Baptist um, Seminary and, yes. is. Yes, and this, this year
0: you're headed to Ontario.
1: That's right. And so. London,
0: I think London, Ontario, is that right?
1: Uh, just in on Lake Huron. It's uh, oh, okay. I think Perry Sound is the nearest town, but it's it, it's a pretty small town. So we're going to yep. be at a, a park.
0: I will be holding the fort down in Franklin. There you go. Because that's what I do in the summer. Because my wife works for a church and she's a children's minister, and it's busy in the summer, and we don't take vacations in the summer. Well, we did last year because she wasn't on staff. We went to Pensacola Beach. That was fun. But this yeah. year, back to the normal routine.
1: Yes. Well, for us, summer is is the time. So, yes, because uh, we'll, fall and
0: spring, you've got school. So, yeah.
1: Yes. So, we'll be, well, uh, well I'll, I'll be reporting. We'll have to figure out how we're going to do that. So, uh, looking forward to conversation next week.
0: Now, I had a good, uh, speaking of conversations, had a good conversation with the fine folks at Southern Seminary when I was at.
1: Oh, my goodness. Every week, this segue is fantastic. All right, yes, keep it is.
0: Going. Um, it is. So, but I, I had a good chat with them about the, you know, something we talked about on the podcast. I've got a, a rising freshman. I think you do as well. And yes. um talking to In them high about, school. Rising freshman yes. in high school, not college. Yes, same, same. And um talking to them about the Boyce Summer Academy. And yes. Where you can go and you can get credit hours, like one or two credit hours, you can get and it, i think you also get a part of a scholarship as well if you want to go into Boyce. So that's something that I was talking to them about at the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting. And I know that your daughter also had found out about that.
1: Yeah, she was hitting all the uh, the college admissions counselors, and See, in the she's thinking hall. ahead.
0: That's a good girl. She good for Mary. she is.
1: She is. Um, I. She talked to the folks at Boys. Now, to be clear, uh, my my kids they they love. Um, college at southeastern and they love southeastern seminary love being part of that campus but sometimes you you your kids are interested in maybe doing something different or not being near home so i think she's kind of as she looks ahead asking some of those questions so she started just hitting all the the tables she talked to the folks at boyce a good bit she um i think came back with a union t-shirt that she oh there you go uh really enjoyed and uh i think there were a few others she she had several uh, several hmm. brochures that she came back with
0: Converse college.
1: Uh, they didn't have a table. Didn't in the have a, exhibit they didn't have a booth today. Yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and Mom's I think alma mater she, there, right? that's, that's right. She did enjoy, cause we talked about how, um, boys college was located, you know, where she, she spent the first year and a half of her life there. So I think that she that was, that was born complete. there, right? Yep. She was. Yeah. So,
0: all right. Well, we'll see. We have four years to figure that out. You do. We and, sure do. I do as well, and, and I don't think my son is even thinking about that. So, at least well, Mary's bring, ahead of him.
1: Bring him to the SBC next year, and he can uh, visit all those those booths as well. I'm thinking
0: they will. Being in Birmingham, we've got family down there. We lived there for you know close to seven or eight years, so uh, yeah. we, we know a lot of people down there. So, but anyway, we talked a lot about Boyce and, and Boyce and Southern, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Boyce College. They are committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, which is Boyce College, and graduate and doctoral degree programs, which is Southern Seminary, by visiting sbts.edu. Kind of a light news week this week, Amy. I think everybody's still trying to get through the, uh, you know, just get back in the swing of things after the annual meeting last week. But one thing that I I tweeted out earlier this week, I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle last week. So we're going to bring it back to the forefront this week, and it's our lead story the IMB issued a statement on child abuse and sexual harassment, as well as uh, announced a, a hotline uh, that you can call if uh, there are anything you know if you have anything to report uh, regarding an IMB missionary in the past or presently, and then also uh, offered a, a public uh, service email, I guess you could say, if if you're going to hire somebody who worked for IMB, uh, they're encouraging you uh, like you would in any job to to get a reference, and they've set up a references at imb.org. Uh, email that goes to the HR department there at IMB. So uh, let's kind of unpack this this statement on child abuse and sexual harassment, Amy.
1: So it begins just saying that the IMB is committed to zero tolerance uh, for child abuse and sexual harassment among personnel and uh, committed to just clear communication and cooperating with, with others. So the first uh, issue that they talk about is uh, anyone in the IMB who believes they have personally experienced child abuse or sexual harassment or who observes it happen, they are asking them, and it says they regularly ask them to uh, report it to leadership, and it says by means of a secure report. That's where the confidential hotline comes in. So um, so they it says they provide multiple avenues, but if they suspect or they see something, they need to say something, and they share that uh, that number um, that they've designated for it, uh, and then they went into uh, the fact that they investigate situations immediately. They, if they, if it's warranted to report, um, they will. You know, all of those. Uh, just kind of trying to hit on complying with mandatory reporting requirements, cooperating with any investigations. And uh, the sentence is very strong. They're committed to providing compassionate care to anyone who has experienced child abuse or sexual harassment. So that's kind of the first piece. Uh, Once you share a little bit about where they talk about cooperation with partners.
0: Well, you know, with uh, churches and with mission trips, I mean, people go on mission trips all the time. So they're asking uh, volunteers to go under, uh, to undergo training concerning child protection. Actually, it's kind of mandatory. So uh, they they require child protection training uh, for anyone going on mission trips with uh, the IMB. And they have specific resources and guidance for churches and volunteer trip team leaders available on the website as well. You can find that link uh, if you just follow through with uh, the link that we have at the website over at imb.org. And then, you know, we mentioned it in the, the intro here. There's the references at IMB dot org for anybody who is wanting to hire a former personnel or current personnel uh, just to double check those references, make sure there's nothing in the HR file uh, that may be of uh, concern for somebody coming back off the field. Uh, So, you know, you've got the opportunities there. It's good to see the IMB uh, getting this out there. Uh, There has been some questions about some instances in the past. Uh, We've seen some links and some stories about that over the past few months uh, so they are, you know, kind of coming out, putting this at the forefront, and and it's good to see that. And you know, I, I like the idea of the the hotline. We'll get the hotline here 866 eight six six two nine two zero one eight one. That's 866 eight six six two nine two zero one eight one. I like the idea there. I, I think that's something that our, our other entities can probably yes. use as a model. So uh, I, I like that, and and as well as the uh, the references at imb.org. That's something I think our or other entities as well could model in the future. So we may see more of that along the, along those lines in the future from other entities.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's not the only trustee board that we heard from. Uh, the executive committee also reported on their meeting as well, which happened right before uh, the SBC. Now, we talked about that a little bit in our recap about the election, but there was one um, release that came out uh re- Wait, we talked about that a little bit in our recap, the election for a new EC chairman um, and uh, what happened with Raleigh White Baptist Church. Uh, but there is a release it just came out this week, uh, something from the EC search committee as they continue to look for uh, the, the next president.
0: Yeah, Steve Swafford, who's the chairman of that committee, uh, announced this week that they have not begun looking at names yet. And any speculation or social media post about who they may nominate is just that. It's speculation. Uh, there was a couple of stories, I think, that hit mainstream media uh, a week or two ago about uh, potential candidates, and they're saying, look, we haven't started doing that yet. So uh, they just had their first full meeting, in fact, last week at the SBC annual meeting because Mike Stone had not been added to the board or to the uh, the committee right. yet. So right. that was his first chance to meet with them, the seven members. I remember it also includes Joe Knott, Stephen Rummage. Roland Slade, Steve Swafford, Carol Yarber, and Adron Robinson. Those are the seven right there. And they've uh, they've met last week for the first time. They're still taking recommendations through June 30th, and then they'll begin their process from there. So they've sent out an, an update to the executive committee. That letter is printed in full in Baptist Press. So just a quick update from them. Another update from something that maybe we uh, kind of missed, some things that we we didn't really hit on a lot last week. So we'll, we'll just touch these. Uh Global Hunger Relief had their run last Wednesday morning while a lot of us were in you know locked in the room while waiting on the vice president. They still had their room on the outside.
1: Yeah. Run run from your bed. That's what some of us did. I
0: ran from my bed. That's yes. what I did. Yes. But they had two hundred people and raised six thousand dollars. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Another thing that happened on Wednesday morning was your uh, women's leadership breakfast that Jen Wilkins spoke at. There's a story in Baptist press about that.
1: Yeah. And that, I loved reading that story because I wasn't actually able to stay for all of it. Um, because of just making sure getting through security and everything. Duty calls, Amy, that's right. That's right. So I had to get through security for, um, the vice president's visit that was coming. Um, but had heard a lot of great things. And this uh, article, which actually was written by Lauren Pratt, who is a staff writer here at Southeastern um, and uh, part of the kind of the press pool at Baptist Press. So she had been assigned to, to write this and she did a great job. And so the, the story gave me kind of a picture of what all happened at the event and it's, it's really, really good. Uh, some great quotes from Jen Wilkin in here, just talking about, uh, the deliverers, uh, the female deliverers in in the Bible and proposing sort of for us to, to join their ranks. So, uh, really, really good, uh, quotes in there. Um, so it talks about how she reminded women they can do anything if they're content with not always getting credit and that there are women out there who need them as an advocate. And so just to, to, um, fear the Lord.
0: Attendance for this more than 200 women. Uh, this is, I think what the fourth year that you've done this. That's right. Started in Columbus in 2015. So 15, 16, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. So fourth year, how many people did y'all have that first year? Was it like 50, 75?
1: Something like that. I think we we had capped at 100, so we had probably about 75. And then the next two years, uh, were around 100, you know. And so we just um, were really just kind of trying to start it out, make some space for uh, a conversation about leadership development. And so this year, um, we just expanded it a, a little bit and uh, sold out. Uh, before we even got there and then had some spots at the door uh, to, to sell for people so it was a really it was a really good uh, good event
0: that's awesome another event for women at this uh, year's annual meeting something you spoke on the panel at that was the women and work event uh, stepping into kingdom pro- productivity that was on uh, Tuesday night I believe uh, right after dinner right before the missionary commissioning service and uh, I I swung by there on the, on, the, when that was over, I had to pick up some, some extra books, uh, that we had given uh, to that. So we swung by and picked those up, but I, I saw a room full of women for that one. I mean, that was a great attendance as well. Uh, and this first year event, you know, we had a couple of Lifeway people on there. You were on the panel, uh, Courtney Moore kind of led this and, uh, just a fantastic little event for women. And, uh, you know, it just, we, we talk about it every year. There's more and more opportunities for women, to be a part of these ancillary events around the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting.
1: Yeah, this was a gr- uh, a really great event and uh, Courtney Moore just she just went uh went for it and uh started this group uh Women in Work uh started in April and jumped right in to plan this event and it was a great discussion and just had a lot of um a lot of good, uh, she asked a lot of good questions and then people submitted really good questions. I really enjoyed uh, because I didn't know until uh, until this week, until uh, right before the event, um, a, f- a couple of days before I met Mary Wiley and then I met Lauren that night. And really enjoyed hearing and learning from them. have known Kelly for a while, and always loved to to learn from her uh but it was it was a really neat discussion. I hope this is the first of many uh, from women in work
0: All right, another event that uh kind of took place and and just there was a I didn't realize we had a little uh a disagreement among the messianic fellowship and a group uh, called Christians United for Israel. Uh, and they they were they had a booth in the exhibit hall, so there was a, a bit of a disagreement on uh, evangelization of Jewish peoples in Israel, uh, I guess, and here in the U.S. Uh, they met at uh, the TGI Fridays in Dallas, which I thought was a great little nugget in the the story here from Baptist Press. But uh, and then there was some disagreements on on a couple of things from our our Messianic Baptist uh, groups.
1: Yeah, so it looks like in this that there you know it's two different groups that have uh, different goals um the the one is focusing on evangelism uh to Jewish uh, people and then uh, the other group is uh CUFI they are say that they are they uh, gave a statement to BP said they are a single issue organization dedicated to educating Christians about Israel strengthening the U.S.-Israel relationship and stamping out anti-Semitism in all its forms, it does not engage in evangelism. So it seems like it's more of an educational uh, group. And so maybe there was a little bit of concern on the part of the Southern Baptist Messianic Fellowship just about sort of their level of participation. And I did not know that that sort of back and forth was going on either.
0: (laughs) So I, I was surprised to see it in the article here. So, just thought we'd touch on that. And finally, the CP panel. We led a couple of those. I led a couple more. Those videos are now online at the uh, the TalkCP.com website, as well as their Vimeo channel, so you can go and see all those. We're going to be grabbing some audio from those, dropping those into future episodes, uh, especially you know, the ones that Amy and I led. So may even take the, the whole Beth Moore, Russ Moore, Matt Carter one on abuse and lift that out as its own episode uh, sometime here in the near future. Uh, so you can hear that entire conversation because it's about 40 minutes and it's 40 minutes of gold. So uh, we really enjoyed that one and uh, enjoyed all of our panels that we did. But uh, it would uh, be great if you go check those out. There's a lot of the panels that we weren't a part of that were really good as well.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I'm excited. I'm eager to go and look at uh, the ones that I didn't get to hear.
0: Because we, we talked about this. We didn't get a chance to get in the exhibit hall much at all this right.
1: year. Because uh, there
0: was so much going on in the hall.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we missed missed a lot, and even on Monday, I was kind of in and out of a lot of different things. So uh,
0: you had a book signing, Amy. You were uh, you that know, was you had other things was, that were more important. Well,
1: I was in the hall during that time, and that was only a short short time, but I would love to have seen more. So that's why it's really good that they have these videos.
0: All right. Well, hey, uh, another thing that we talked about just for a brief moment last week uh, was the SBC Young Leaders Advisory Group uh, that the executive committee had. They had their report that they gave last week during the executive committee report. Uh, talked about it just a little bit. I had a chance to catch up with Andrew Abair, a lead pastor at Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas, and talked to him about the report and just uh, some of the findings that they had and moving forward, some of the recommendations they had. Here's the conversation with Andrew right here. Joining us today, we have a very special guest, Andrew A. Bear, who was on the uh, Executive Committee's Young Leaders Advisory Council. Uh, they made their report in Dallas at the annual meeting, and we've asked Andrew to join us today. Andrew is the lead pastor at Paramount Baptist Church over in uh, West Texas. So, I mean, you used to be in uh,
2: New Mexico, now out there in Texas. Uh, how, how are things, Andrew? Things are good, yeah. we served in New Mexico for about five years and have been back in God's country, uh, West Texas, for about 18 months, so really enjoying ministry out here. And and you have served on the Committee on
0: Order of Business. You're no stranger to Southern Baptist Life, uh, a fellow Criswell alum. Right. And uh, like, just like me. So uh, welcome to the podcast, man. We're glad to have you on here. And uh, so let's, let's just talk about this Young Leaders Advisory Council you guys met. Uh, I think it was named in 2016. You guys met a couple times in 2017, and in 2018 brought the report. So kind of give us an overview of the committee's work, the purpose of the committee, and maybe some of the the kind of overarching findings that you found.
2: The executive committee has put together several advisory councils over the years. There's been a Hispanic Ministry Advisory Council, Women's Advisory Council, and uh, now a Young Leader Advisory Council. So essentially we were a, a group of young pastors, mostly pastors, but also some state convention Uh, employees, some entity uh, leaders as well, but but all of us under the age of 40, and we're assembled to essentially assess how is the SBC uh, doing in terms of engaging young pastors and young leaders, and how can we do a better job of engaging the next generation of leaders, and so our our leadership council was made up of uh, a very ethnically diverse group, a geographically diverse. I mean, we we spanned the uh, uh, the country from California all, all the way up to the Northeast. Came from different aspects of ministry, and uh, we we gathered first of all just to talk about our own perspectives about the SBC and and how we can do a better job of of engaging young leaders. But then we we did a, a survey of um, over 2,000 mostly young pastors in the SBC and just asked some questions that were really helpful to help diagnose kind of where we're at in terms of young leader engagement. So it was a fascinating uh, process. It was really helpful. There were some insights that were surprising to us in terms of how we're doing. And I think um, the report that we ended up uh, creating gives us some helpful, uh, practical, concrete ways to do a better job moving forward in terms of, of engaging the next generation of leaders.
0: One of the issues that came up in the survey was a need for better transparency. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's a financial way, maybe that's just a you know SPC politics, that, that kind of stuff. But, but just transparency as a, as a whole was, was something that, that came up several times throughout the report as you read it. How important is it to facilitate better transparency in the SPC, and how can we how can we do that on both a national, state,
2: and maybe even an associational level? Well, I'm a millennial, uh, Jonathan, and I, I think this is probably true of my generation in general. Uh, certainly true, though, I think of, of millennials in the SBC, but I think there's a general desire among the millennial generation for for transparency, and I think that's true in the SBC. And I, I think one of the things that we found in the survey was um, not a lot of young pastors felt like they knew where they could go to find answers in terms of where cooperative program dollars are being spent um, exactly what that, that looks like and those types of things. And so I, I think if you ask uh, people who serve at the executive committee, they would probably be able to tell you where those kinds of answers are found. I mean, if somebody says, hey, I give, I live in Alabama, and our church gives $1,000 to the cooperative program, how does the, the giving break down in terms of what money goes where? Probably there's somebody in Nashville who could explain that, But the pastor in Alabama doesn't necessarily know who to talk to or what website to go to to find out exactly how that's broken down. And so I think the desire for transparency is, first of all, we want to know that that there's financial integrity. Um, Secondly, we want to know that, that the money that we give for missions via the cooperative program is being stewarded faithfully. And I think that there is a a little bit of a breakdown in terms of how that information is shared and communicated. I think that's one of the areas that we discovered that we could do a better job as a convention of disseminating that information, making that information really clear um, to younger pastors to say, hey, when you give to the cooperative program, number one is stewarded well. Number two, there is financial integrity. And number three, the information is accessible, that there's an easy way to find out where your money is going, how, how it's being spent. And of course, you know, Jonathan, that that issue is made more complex because we have different state conventions and the breakdown of how much money stays in state versus goes to Nashville and then is disseminated to all of our ministries. That's all different, you know. So in Texas, um, our church is a member of both of our state conventions. Um, the SBTC uh, keeps 45 cents of every dollar in Texas. 55 cents of every cooperative program dollar goes outside of our state. The BGCT, uh, honestly, it's really, really difficult to find out exactly what that giving breakdown is. Uh, when I yeah, there's a in- couple
0: of different formulas yeah, that they different have.
2: Formulas. So there's a frustration, and I even feel it personally with my own church, is a frustration to, to, to not really be able to give a clear answer on how that cooperative program money is being spent. I think there are a lot of pastors who agree with that.
0: And you drive an hour or two to the west, and you're in New Mexico again. And that funding is anywhere from seventy to seventy-five percent staying in the state, and and, you know twenty to or thirty to twenty-five percent moving on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, obviously it it differs from state to state. You know, some pastors in Texas may think, well, what's the big deal? You know, we're fifty-five percent of every dollar goes on to national. But then you get somebody who's in Louisiana, you know, where it's seventy-one percent or something like that. Yeah. So I think there's general
2: uh, confusion among young young pastors about how all of that works. And a, a general frustration that that information is not always visible or accessible, and I think that's one thing that we could we need to, to strategize about how do we make this information uh, more widely accessible and, and a little bit easier to understand.
0: One of the parts of the report dealt with uh, like confidence level of states versus confidence level of the national entities. The national entities kind of won out, and and every. Uh, break down every question that had, you know, where do you feel like cooperative programs or seeing cooperative program funds used the best? It, it always seemed to the national type programs rose above. You had seminaries and IMB and church planning and ERLC and then state conventions. There's a big drop right there. Why do you think there's such a greater affinity on the national level with young pastors uh, versus maybe the state or associational level?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great insight. And that is true. We We did ask you know, do you feel like your cooperative program monies are being stewarded well at the, at the state level or the national level, or do you have confidence in the effectiveness of the cooperative program at the state level or the national level? So, a lot of different ways of asking essentially the same type of question, and every answer there was more confidence at the national level of the SBC than there was at the state convention level. So, there are a lot of ideas, you know, that we we have have sort of digested and worked through as to why that might be. Um, on one of our uh, – one of the sections of the report um, under question number 12, there were three, three statements that were made here that I think maybe gets at the answer uh, of the question you're asking here. Um, first of all, I think in recent years, we've seen um, NAM, ERLC, and INB, for instance, have an increased social media presence. And so with young millennial pastors and Gen X pa- pastors where we are on social media more, we are just seeing a little more clearly and more regularly what – Visibility. Of the, yeah, visibility. has so increased, yeah. We, we understand a little bit more now about what ERLC is doing than sometimes we do some of the state convention ministries. So that's one, one part of it. Another part of it, um, younger leaders uh, have been asked to assume positions of leadership in several of the national entities. For instance, let's take the ERLC. Uh, Russ Moore has put together a, a leadership council, ERLC leadership council. I had the opportunity to serve on that a couple of years ago, um, and, and they've done a good job of engaging a lot of young leaders. The state conventions, not all of them have done that. And so I think when you're engaged in leadership, you're going to have more buy-in and more trust and a, a greater sense of connection. So I think that's one area the state conventions can do a better job of engaging young leaders in, in leadership roles. But then another insight, and I think this is really helpful Many young leaders have a, a connection with the national convention because we went to one of our six seminaries, or we are connected with a NAM church plant or some IMB partnership, and sometimes we don't always have that same level of connection with a state convention. So Jonathan, I saw this in New Mexico. It was really interesting. Um, with young pastors in New Mexico, guys who came to pastor churches from out of the state – so that, like, that was me. I'm, I'm a Texas guy. But I came to New Mexico um, after having gone to a Southern Baptist college and then a Southern Baptist seminary. I had a greater affinity with the national convention than the state convention. Um, what I, what was interesting was young pastors who essentially were from the state, like New Mexico guys, had a greater affinity with the state convention than the national convention. And so I come to New Mexico, and I was wanting to push us to give more cooperative program dollars out of the state. Meanwhile, I'm talking to other guys who really didn't see the need to do that. Their, their sort of first line of connection with the SBC was the state convention, not the national entity. So I think seminaries have, have a lot to do with that. If you graduated from Southern, you're going to be connected to the broader national SBC network. And that's going to be really your first point of contact with SBC, the, S, the world of SBC. If you grew up in, in a smaller state, rural state, you didn't go to one of our seminaries, your first line of of connection, your first point of contact is going to be probably your state convention. Well, and
0: now with more and more pastors, especially young pastors coming from the seminaries, you know, our our seminary enrollment is up. We've got more graduates than ever in in our seminaries. Do you think that that's just going to increase that, that disparity, I guess?
2: I do. Yeah, I think so. I think the seminaries, I think ERLC, I think NAM, IMB, Uh, that is probably going to be a greater point of connection than than the state level.
0: What are some ways that the states maybe are doing a good job? Because, I mean, it's it's not like every state or any of the states are are failing with these connections. Uh, But there are some ways that they are. And and I think one of the big ones, if I read the report right, disaster relief. Right.
2: Yeah, so we we asked what areas of state convention ministry have you personally seen the effectiveness of the cooperative program in. Disaster relief ranked number one and church planting ranked number two. So the, those, uh, above any other uh, ministries that the state convention uh, does, in our survey, disaster relief and church planting were seen, seen as the most effective. So I think that those are very helpful. Um, there are other things that some of the states are doing. For instance, um, our state convention, the SBTC, they have a next-gen pastors network. So they're be- being very intentional to identify young younger pastors and network them together. Um, we do a, like a monthly uh, Skype phone call with a different leader in the SBC where all of the next gen network guys can uh, get on the Skype call and, and interact with, you know, David Platt or Danny Aiken or Robbie Gallaty or whoever it might be. So there are some state conventions that are, are doing some things. I think the key is intentionality. The state conventions that are intentionally engaging young pastors are the ones who are going to be most effective at to, at, at having that connection point.
0: Something we've talked about in the interview and in, in the report as well is efficiencies uh, with how you're spending money. How, what are some ways that uh, maybe the both the national and the state that we've seen and maybe that we can continue to see maybe some efficiencies uh, of the use of corporate – you know, one thing, none of us, young pastor, old pastor, whoever it may be, we don't want to see cooperative program monies wasted. Right. So, so what are some ways that we, we have seen and or could see more uh, efficiencies when it comes to CP funds?
2: Yeah, on the survey, again, of over 2,000 young pastors, um, so a common theme that came up in the responses was was a, a sense of frustration that cooperative program money was being wasted. Um, that overhead was high. And there was also a sense of appreciation for the entities that have sought to reduce their overhead. So for instance, the executive committee has sought to reduce their overhead. NAM has reduced their overhead. I remember Kevin, he said- The he's Florida up.
0: Baptist Convention. From, oh yeah, Florida know, Baptist, yeah. Grant. So yeah. in
2: the headquarters, I think Georgia is trying to do that or maybe has just done that uh, same thing. But um, I think young pastors really respond well to that. We see that and we, we say, yes, more, more of that. Um, and I think the reason is, is because When we sell cooperative – let me put it this way. When we hear someone from the state convention encourage us to give more to the cooperative program, the selling point is always missions. When we try to talk to our churches about cooperative program, we're talking about missions. Now, when you think of missions, when I think of missions, maybe we have different definitions of what missions is. But typically, I think most of us think overseas. We think about unreached peoples. Um, so, when we, when we think cooperative program, we're thinking reaching the nations. Then we find out that some of our, you know, if you're in a, a, a let's say, a, a Western state that keeps 80 cents of every dollar in the state, and then you start looking into how those 80 cents are spent, and they're, they're spent on things like water balloon, uh, you know, balloon artists or vacation Bible school trainings or what have you. Um, not that any of those things are bad things in and of themselves, but that's not what we typically think of as missions. And so it almost feels like a bait and switch. Our state convention person is asking us to give more to the cooperative program so that we support missions. And then we find out actually all of that, or a lot of that is staying in the state and doing things like BBS trainings. It's not really what we think of as missions. So I think there's a frustration with that. So um, you know, what we heard from young pastors, young leaders was just a desire to see overhead costs reduced in, 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 every, way, in every way possible, whether that means reducing the size of the staff, uh, reducing the, the footprint of our buildings, whatever we can do to eliminate overhead. And uh, you think if you think about cooperative program as being a water hose and you're trying to get. You know the, the the water of your missions giving money out to the sprinkler head to the nations. You don't want holes in the water hose where there's leak, leak here, leak there, leak here, leak there. And by the time you get to the sprinkler, there's not really a lot of money getting out there to the mission to the mission field. So I think that's uh, uh, you know some of the frustration and some of the hope of younger leaders is that we would see uh, less overhead and a, a maximized leverage to giving to the nations.
0: Yeah, and. One of the things that, you know, we mentioned at the top of the episode whenever I was speaking about you, your involvement in the SBC. You're you're very involved in the Southern Baptist Convention, both on the state and the national level. But some, what are some ways, you know, so if a pastor's listening to this, maybe even see an older pastor. It could be an older pastor, younger pastor, whatever. Creating spaces, we've talked about it, you know, creating opportunities for younger pastors to get involved and pastors just in general to get involved in the state and national areas. What are some, you know, easy on-ramps for that that you could encourage any pastor listening to this to to get more involved in the SBC?
2: Yeah, well, decisions are made by those who are in the room. So a big part of it is just showing up. Uh, Going to your state convention annual meeting, I think, would be a good first step. Um, There are a couple of guys here in the Texas Panhandle. I've been trying to talk to them about uh, partnering with Southern Baptists. So first step, I I invited them to come with me to the state convention annual meeting. They came, they met local area guys, pastors who were like-minded, who they could connect with. That was kind of an on-ramp for them. And so I would encourage, uh, you know, if you want to get involved, go to your state convention annual meeting, show up, go to the meetings, be proactive, try to meet people, and then go to the national convention. And, uh, you know, a, a frustration that we found among uh, young pastors as we took the survey survey was there's a lack of, of good information about how the convention works, uh, about what the convention is doing. Very few young leaders understand the inner workings of the annual meeting. Very few of them understand the process for making motions, for passing resolutions, how to recommend people for service on boards and committees. The only way to fix that is just to to, to jump in with both feet and get involved and try to learn. Um, and subscribe to
0: SBC this week.
2: Subscribe to SBC this week, yeah.
0: <laughs> and buy SBC FAQs by Amy Whitfield.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get to, Product know your, plugs in there. get to know your state convention and staff. Um, invite entity leaders to come preach at your church. You know, any way that you can get can find to get connected, I think is helpful. All
0: right, well, Andrew, we appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, you and the, the rest of the committee's work on uh, this. Uh, it's quite a good report. I will link to it in the show notes. We'd appreciate everybody just going and checking that out. And uh, Andrew, thanks again for your service to Southern Baptist, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time for us. Jonathan, thanks.
1: All right, well, that, is, that was great, and I, we really appreciate Andrew uh, coming and talking with us. He has been um, really involved as a young leader for quite some time. I um, I spent last year and the year before working with him as he was on the Committee on Order of Business and was the chair one year, really just committed, kind of throws himself into to whatever he's doing. He was a lot more relaxed this year when I saw him.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah, I saw him at the uh, at the convention on Monday, I think he was going to register and he was in like a polo and shorts, you know, khaki shorts or something. Yeah. I was like, what in the world? Because I mean, it was just, it was so out of character because the last few years, every time, literally every time I saw him, it was suit and tie.
1: Right, right.
0: Or, you know, I mean, so I was just like, I was a little, you know, discombobulated there. Yeah.
1: Well, when but. I talked to him, he he mentioned that the best part was he was actually having lunch and dinner with people because he didn't have meetings. So, um, <laughs> so I know that yes. that was good. But we really appreciate him, uh, coming yeah. and uh, talking through some of those things.
0: All right. Well, that's going to bring us to this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Oh wait, I know what this week in SBC history should be no.
1: this week.
0: <laughs> it is Amy's birthday, June twenty first. When we're recording this, Amy turns mm, years old and, uh, (laughs) and happy, happy birthday, Amy.
1: Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. I noticed that, that, uh, you tweeted something from the SBC this week account that said, uh, something like happy birthday and tell, uh, how, tell her how much you appreciate her. And I thought, well, I certainly hope no one thinks I'm running that account, um, since that would seem a little <laughs> I think, strange. I think
0: based on some of the things that have been tweeted from that account, everybody knows who's running that account. I'm
1: I'm pretty sure they so, do. But that was my first thought, and uh, I I got pretty tickled at that. But I actually do have something uh, that happened before I was born.
0: Uh, oh, so it's way back there.
1: Yeah. So we're gonna go. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so we're gonna go to 1957. That's significantly. Oh, yeah. well, that's way before. Way significantly before both of us. Way before I was born uh less than 20 years before i was born but still there um so we're going to go back to june 19th uh very cool it was when they announced that the trustees of southern baptists sixth seminary to be had voted to name the new institution midwestern baptist theological seminary so they met in kansas city Uh. Right after the uh, 1957 SBC, they voted to locate it in Kansas City. They elected H.I. Hester of Liberty, Missouri, as um, they said president of the trustees, but it would be like the chairman of the board. Um, and uh, he was vice president of William Jewell College. They uh, the they had a, a chairman of a committee that would nominate a president. Um, the SBC had uh, had voted to appropriate $2 million for construction in a five-year period starting in 1959. And wow. it says they would be limited to courses in theology. So it kind of gave all the um, details. They met in Kansas City, visited and surveyed the site. um, and uh, they voted to name it. So it's kind of cool. It's a really, really special day uh, for Midwestern. Um, what is that? All right. Do the math for me. I'm tired. That's what... Si- what
0: year was it? 1950?
1: 1950. 1957. So that's... Uh, 61 61 years. years ago. Yeah. So 61 years ago um, was uh-huh. when things were kind of... Um, kind of kicking off now this issue of baptist press uh is also has just some other nuggets in there there's a really interesting article about um baptist historians uh working to develop a historical map uh connecting with the encyclopedia of southern baptists and it would be used by southern baptists taking historical tours and pilgrimages so i thought that was was kind of interesting all right yes
0: I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. So June 19th, this uh this happened, you know, reported and everything. Did it happen on June 19th or was it just reported on June 19th?
1: That's a good question. It's I mean it was reported on June 19th, but it says they met shortly after the 57 SBC. So, um I'd have to look at the at the date. So I don't know. Give give me give okay. me your thoughts.
0: All right, the reason I ask, the reason I ask because if it had been June nineteenth, a mere one hundred and twenty-three years prior, which is not a mere of anything, right, was the birthday of the one and only Charles Haddon
1: Spurgeon <gasps> on June nineteenth. I should have made that my, my that? this week in SBC history.
0: Well, but he wasn't. He wasn't Southern Baptist. So
1: right, but I mean, he's kind of a big deal. He was deal. an
0: English particular Baptist, yes. according to Wikipedia, yes. I think. But um, oh, yeah. So, you yeah. Just June nineteenth and June nineteenth, yeah. and then this year, because you know how I know that we had a big sale on Charles Spurgeon's birthday the other day, we had a big party. Oh in yeah,
1: this was a big week for for Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon College is now the
0: undergraduate thing for Midwestern. So all, yeah, how about it, that?
1: It all comes together. So, we're just gonna say this was a was a big week, uh, for Midwestern this week in SVC history.
0: Yeah, so kind of cool.
1: Yeah, but, also for right. pilgrimages as maps got developed because I would r- recommend that story as well. So check it out. Oh,
0: okay, all right, okay. All right, well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is a GoFundMe uh, account that's been set up by, by our friends over at SPC Voices for Dave Miller and his wife, uh, both of them right now battling cancer. Uh, she, I think she just had surgery to have a tumor removed. Dave is going under the knife, I think, in another week or so uh, for a kidney a tumor a tumor on his kidney some cancer there so uh, there's a GoFundMe we have uh, donated to that I, I encourage you uh, listeners uh, go over if you can spare some uh, some a donation for Dave we really appreciate everything the guys over at SBC Voices do and uh, we appreciate Dave his friendship his camaraderie and and his service to Southern Baptists. so Dave's done a lot he's he's put his neck out there uh, for a lot of people the over the years uh, in the Southern Baptist world so we appreciate Dave. We love Dave, and uh, we're praying for Dave. And uh, we'd appreciate if uh, you, uh, our listeners, go out and uh, help him with the uh, the GoFundMe account to help cover some of those expenses. Amy, your resource of the week is
1: so mine is Christian History Magazine. Um, now, this is a magazine that's been around for a little while. You can uh, you can subscribe to it if you want, but you can also go online and um, and just buy uh, issues like by themselves and uh, just by you know a single issue and so their current issue that is out, um, I actually got a chance to contribute to this so that's not why I'm recommending it but I did get a get to, to do a little something with it um, but it the entire issue is on Baptists in America. So uh, they've got um, they, they've got stories on everything from hang on. They've got stories on just kind of Baptist history in general. Uh, which Baptists are you? So this is Southern Baptist. It's American Baptist. Like it's it's everything. Uh, but it would just kind of go back. It it would just have all the different Baptist groups. Uh, The thing I got to contribute was a uh, short article on how Baptists have contributed to education. All the different schools, universities, seminaries uh, that have been started that most people don't realize have a Baptist background. So that was just a really fun thing. But it's the entire issue. So um, Christian History Magazine has a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff. But most of the time what they do is every issue has a, an overarching theme. And this one is about Baptists. So it's $5. Uh, so if you're not a subscriber, you can just order one issue. And uh, I would recommend this. Also, it is actually available. You can look at it online uh, and read the whole thing if you just want to do that um, for free. So uh, we'll throw that out there.
0: And you contributed to it, you said?
1: Yeah. Art- yeah, it was an article about how we started, uh, about how Baptists started uh, so many schools across America that that people don't even realize.
0: All right. Well, very cool. Well, thanks again for joining us this week. Uh, you know, we're kind of a light news week. We're in that little kind of lull after the SBC annual meeting, but we'll get going through there. We'll have some special uh, interviews and some uh, different, you know, audio clips for you coming soon uh, to some episodes. We'll pull those from the, uh, the Talk CP interviews that we did as well. So uh, check those out. Check out the, uh, and and thanks again to Andrew Abair for joining us today. Thanks again to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky for sponsoring us. And we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.